I'm going to stick real close to my notes today. Um, I'm going to give you a lot of scripture today. Because I want to talk to you about how God wants your marriage to be beautiful. God wants your marriage to be thoroughly fulfilling. And I believe that the key to that kind of marriage is found in the Ten Commandments in number seven. Where it says in Exodus 20:14, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Generations come and generations go, but the Ten Commandments stand firm. The Ten Commandments do not need to be altered. They do not need to be revised. The law of God is perfect. And the law of God is always for our good. One great theologian said, in reality, when a person attempts to break one of God's commandments, he or she is actually breaking themselves on the commandment. Rather than actually breaking the command itself, the law of God is immovable. The law of God is unshakable. The commandments of God are given to us for the purpose, not for the purpose, not for the purpose of pain, The laws of God are given to us not to threaten us. The laws of God are given to us not to bind us in any way. The laws of God are given for the purpose of liberation. The laws of God are given to us for the purpose of freedom and deliverance. Look what the Bible says in 1 John 5 and 3. It says in 1 John 5 and 3, loving God... How many of you love God? Look what it says. Loving God means, read it with me, keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. They are not to bring pain. They are not to deprive you of some great thing. God calls us to put his law in our hearts In our hearts, because you see, if the law of God is only on the outside, if it's only words on the pages of a Bible, it simply becomes a restraint. It becomes a rule. But when we put the law of God inside of us, listen, if righteousness, the righteousness of God is fulfilled in us because as Pastor Jared so clearly put it today, Jesus lives in our heart then the law of God is freedom for us. We find freedom, not bondage, but freedom when we obey God. The story is told of an ancient emperor who built the Great Wall of China. And he built that wall to keep the enemy to the north from invading the nation of China. And it was built so high, and it was built so wide and so great, that you could ride on chariots on the top of the wall. It is said that the Great Wall of China is one of the few things that can be seen by our astronauts from out of space, outer uh, outer space. But that wall 
did not keep the enemy out. It did not. As great, as magnificent as it was, it could not keep the enemy out. And you know why? Because all the enemy had to do to get in was bribe a, a gatekeeper. The enemy simply bribed a, great keeper, a, a gatekeeper. So in spite of the wall, there was an enemy on the inside. It allowed the enemy on the outside to come in. The lesson is that the gatekeeper, the law of God, listen, cannot just be words on a page in your Bible. In order for you to live by the laws of God and live by the commandments of God, that law has to be in your heart. And it is in your heart through a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The seventh commandment of God deals with immorality. And what it says, in a nutshell, is this. Listen carefully to me. Let me tell you what we're doing today. We are setting the house on the topic of sexual immorality. Now, there are people who talk about our church and talk about me. As a matter of fact, uh, I'm going to just go ahead and say this out loud. There was a lady recently who ran into a Catholic priest in Goldsboro who told her that all we did here was have a big party, that we didn't really teach truth, and it was all watered down. I want him to come visit us one Sunday. As a matter of fact, I wish he was here today, because he's going to get the truth. He would get the truth. If he were here today, I believe he'll get the truth anytime he comes here to worship with us. And I love him. All sexual, all sexual involvement outside of marriage is a sin. It is a sin that is grievous to the heart of God. This means premarital sex, extramarital sex. These acts, I, don't, I know what the world says. I'm not talking about what the world says today. These acts, according to the scripture, are a sin against Almighty God. So we ask the question, is marriage obsolete? Has marriage gone the way of the kerosene lamp? Has marriage gone the way of the Model T Ford? Is marriage a thing of yesterday? Now many people tell us that it is now uh, not necessary. The secular media tells us that we have come through a moral and sexual revolution and things are different now and that marriage as we knew it in bygone days is no longer a valid institution. This is the message of Hollywood. It's the message of the web, the internet, blogs. It's the message of newspapers and journals. As you stand in line at the grocery store, it is the message of the tabloids and the magazines. It is the message of many of our educators. It is the message of sociologists of our day, and God forgive us and God help us, but it is the message of so-called religious leaders and spiritual leaders in our country of America. While we're being told these things by these people, our homes are falling apart. While we're being told that marriage doesn't matter and 
sexual morality doesn't matter anymore and these are old rules for an old archaic bygone day our homes are falling apart our children are being pulled down into the sewers of sin and venereal disease is rampant all of this because of perverted doctrines all of this because of perverted philosophies that are born in the minds of men rather than in the pages of God's Word. So in order to get our minds right in the church, we got to go straight to the Word of God. Y'all with me out there today? Y'all look a little scared. I think y'all are out there. How many of you know sometimes we just got to stop and set the house? We just got to stop and clear things up and let everybody know where a church stands on a topic. We're going to do that today. I want you to look at Acts 15, 29. The Bible doesn't give advice here. The Bible gives a command, abstain from fornication. 1 Corinthians 10, 8. We're going to go through these quickly. And I'll send you these notes. I'm happy to send you these notes as I always am. 1 Corinthians 10, 8. Neither let us commit fornication. And the reason I give these New Testament scriptures is people always like to point out, well, that's Old Testament. You know what? It doesn't matter if it's Old Testament or New Testament. It's the unadulterated, infallible, inerrant Word of God. And yes, if you're asking yourself that right now, are we that narrow-minded here? The answer is yes, we are. We believe the Bible in this house. Amen? <laughs> We believe all the way from Genesis to Revelation, all the way through the book of Concordance. We believe on the outside where it says genuine leather. We believe it all. Amen. Look at Colossians 3, 5. Paul says, have nothing to do. Have how much to do? Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lusts. And evil desires. First Thessalonians 4 and 3. God's will. God's will. Anybody interested in God's will here? God's will is for you to be holy. So stay away from all sexual sin. What in the world does fornication mean, Pastor? I'm glad you asked. The word fornication means any sexual immorality that takes place before a marriage or after a marriage. For those of you who are having sexual relations before marriage, you are sinning against the person you will marry. Those of you who are uh, and you are establishing obstacles and barriers uh, that uh, will come after you get married. You don't realize it yet. You think it's a big party. You think it's a big philosophy that, said, that says in the world, and this philosophy is in the world. If it feels good, just do it, man. If it feels good, just do it. You don't understand the, the things you're doing to your future relationships, your future marriage. Now, here's the question that probably some people have. Why has God prohibited us from having sex outside of marriage? Why? Why has God said we can't do this? Why has God been so careful to make it clear that we're to keep ourselves sexually and morally pure? Why has God said one man... For one woman. So, I mean, Pastor, really, I mean, is God kind of holding out on us? And no, He's not. You see, listen, marriage is so beautiful and so wonderful 
And the sexual relationship is of such intrinsic value that God reserves this act for those who make a lifetime commitment in his name. That, sec, that, that uh, act of sex, the coming together of a man and a woman in that way, is of such value that God has reserved it for those who make a commitment, a lifetime commitment in his name. That's called marriage. I love this statement. God is not trying to keep sex from us. God is trying to keep sex for us. I know it's hard in these days that we live in to think that sex was God's idea. But uh, it was his idea. And a wonderful idea it was. Amen? Now, what the world wants to do is create a, a, a genderless society. And you know what I say about that? Long live the difference. Amen? Let the difference God created continue. Through his word, God has built some very high walls of protection around this godly, moral, physical relationship. I like what one writer said. He said, when God puts the words, thou shalt not, in front of something, he's saying, don't hurt yourself. He's not trying to deprive you. When he says, thou shalt not, he's saying, don't do that because it will hurt you. And, the, and this writer went on to say, when God puts the words, thou shalt, in front of something, he's saying, help yourself to joy. Help yourself to happiness. Isn't that beautiful? God loves you. He wants you to know this, this physical relationship. He wants you to know it. He wants you to enjoy this physical relationship. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 13.4, look at this scripture. Hebrews 13.4, marriage should be honored by and husband and wife should keep their marriage. God will as those who take part in sexual you know what? We could just say, in Jesus' name, amen, and go on, get some sandwiches, and go to the house, couldn't we? Because that's it right there. But I got some more stuff here. <laughs> the word adulterate, listen to this. The word adulterate means to pollute. To pollute. And marriage is polluted morally and physically, when any man or woman engages in sexual relations outside of marriage. Let's look at uh, what adultery does to us. Number one, adultery is a sin against your own body. It's a sin against your own body. You might be here sitting here today and go, I've, I've committed adultery before, Pastor. I, but I, I'm a Christian today. I've asked the Lord to free. Then it's gone. It's gone, and God will never remember it against you again. It's gone. It's in your past. It's over. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to God, it's like you never even did it. Now, I'm talking, I, I'm telling you, that, that's really washing your sins away right there, isn't it? The Bible says when you bring this sin and any sin to God, he takes that sin. When you come humbly and repent and turn your back on it and uh, receive his forgiveness, he throws it as far as the east is from the west and casts it into the sea of forgetfulness. And he'll never remember it against you again. I doubt there's 
really anybody here who hasn't committed adultery. And I know there's some of you out there going, how dare you? But see, adultery can happen in your mind, just like it can happen physically. It can happen in your mind. Jesus said it, didn't he? Look what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20. And I love the message because the message gets right down to it, buddy. I'm telling you, look what it says. It says in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 16 through 20 from the message, there's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. As written in the scripture, the two shall become one. Paul goes on to say, since we want to become spiritually one with the master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than what? Ever. The kind of sex that can never become one. Look at this next sentence. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different, not worse, but different than all other sins, from all other sins. Paul says, in sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given, God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Paul says, or don't, Didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place? Everybody say, my body is a sacred place. The place of the Holy Spirit. I love love the message here. Paul says, don't you see that you can't live however you please? America needs to hear this message. You can't live however you please squandering what God paid such a high price for. The physical part of you is not some piece of property that belongs separately to the spiritual part of you. No, God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through what you do with your body. Yes, yes, sin is sin. But there's no other sin that can harm you as deeply. There's no other sin that can harm you physically, psychologically, morally, intellectually, or even spiritually as the sin of adultery, fornication. Sexual sin does something to you that no other sin does. It is a sin against your own self. It is a sin against your own body. You sin against the deepest resources and the springs of your own being. A head psychiatrist said recently, this uh, head psychiatrist serves at a great eastern university. He said over 60% of all college students are suffering psychological problems because of their immoral relationships. So when a person commits a sexual sin, he sins against himself. Number two, adultery is a sin against your home. Y'all with me out there? Everybody still love me? Adultery is a sin against your home. The home is the building block. The home is the basic unit of all of society. 
The adulterer sins against his spouse, her spouse. The adulterer sins against their children. The adulterer sins against their parents. The adulterer sins against their brothers and sisters. The adulterer sins against the whole family. Let me ask you a question. Don't you think children have the right to be raised in a home where the father and mother love one another? Don't you think the children have a right to be raised in a home where the father and mother are faithful only to one another? Our children deserve it. The family was established by God to provide the love and the physical care and the social and spiritual development of children. Now, I've heard this myself from the lips of people, so I put it in here. An adulterer will look at you and say, it's my business what I do. Well, what about your children? What about your family? Should your family be sacrificed on the altar of your lust? So when a person commits sexual sin, it's against himself, it's against his home. Number three, when you commit adultery, it's a sin against your church. You ask, is it possible for a Christian to slip, pastor, and slip into this sin of unfaithfulness? Is it possible for a Christian to slip into this sin of immorality? The answer to that is clearly yes. Think of David and Bathsheba. Even as a child of God, we can take our eyes off the Lord. We can lose our focus. We can fail to live as Christians by the principles of God's Word. That's why I'm preaching today, because obviously the church needs to be reminded of this teaching today. I read almost weekly where some pastor, either in our community or in our denomination or somewhere in the United States or somewhere in the world, has fallen, and it's because of sexual immorality. Pastors need to hear this. Christians need to hear this. When a Christian falls into this kind of sin, he wounds the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3 and 16, listen to this. Know ye not that you are the temple of God and the Spirit dwells in you? Now when you study the context of 1 Corinthians 3 16, you understand that Paul is speaking here in the context of the sin of immorality, sexual immorality. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 3.16 is clearly saying that there is nothing that so wounds the body of Christ. There's nothing that so wounds the church, hurts the church, as immorality in the lives of its members. 1 Corinthians 12.26, and we don't have this scripture on the screen, so you might want to jot that down. The Bible says when one member suffers, how many suffer with it? All. So when you gave your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, when you became a Christian, when you were baptized, when, you, when we baptize people in this church and we hold you under till you say, yes, I'll tithe. <laughs> you are baptized into the body of Christ. If baptism isn't serious to you, don't do it. Because when you get water baptized, you are saying, I identify with the body of Christ. I am a part of the body of Christ. I have turned my back on sin. I've turned my back on self. I've turned my back on Satan's plans for my life. And I am embracing a future in Jesus Christ. That's what water baptism says. 
You are being baptized into the body of Christ. So when you commit the sin, sin of sexual immorality, you wound the body. You wound the church. You harm it. So we harm ourselves. We harm our home. We harm our church. It may be a surprise to you that adultery number five is a sin against your nation. It's a sin against your nation. It's a sin against your nation. Number five. Oh, there it is. I'm sorry. Awesome slide person. Adultery is a sin against your nation. Look at Proverbs 13, 34. Look what it says. Righteousness exalts a nation. A nation. When we live holy, when we live right, when we live pure, what does it do for our nation we live in, our country? It lifts it up. It exalts it. Look what it says on the end of that verse. But sin is a reproach to any people. Sexual immorality is, in my opinion, and this may be too strong for some of you, is a sin of treason against your nation. It was this sin that led to the downfall of Rome. If you read Edward Gibbon... And you read his book, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire, he lists the reasons why the Roman Empire fell and sexual immorality was number one. If you study history, and I hope you will, it's important to study history, it was this sin that led to the downfall of Greece. It was this sin that led to the downfall of Egypt. It was this sin that led to the downfall of Babylon and every other great civilization throughout history. In these nations I've mentioned, history reveals that rampant sexual immorality led to the breakdown of the home and the collapse of the home led to the destruction of entire nations. Ladies and gentlemen of America, please, please wake up to history. A nation cannot endure for long. When the institution of the home is increasingly damaged, redefined, and mocked and degraded, disrespected, there's nothing that hurts the home more than marital infidelity and sexual immorality. Number six, number six up there, adultery is a sin against God. Let's say that. Let's say that a little louder so we remember. Adultery is a sin against David was wise enough and transparent enough to see. Y'all remember the story of David and Bathsheba. You remember how he lusted after her, called her to himself, had relations with her, impregnated her, had her husband killed in battle. Because you see, laziness led to lust. And lust led to adultery, and adultery led to murder. Read the story. But in Psalm 51, David repented of his sin. David said, have mercy on me, O God, for I know my transgression. And that word is a, just a long word for sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is how often before me. You know what? You know what? And I'll, I'll just testify this. I'm not going to ask you to testify to it. I'll, when you got sin in your life and it's unrepented of and undealt with, I don't know how you all are, but God puts it in my face every day till I deal with it. Every day. Y'all look so holy out there. Y'all look so holy. 
but he does. He puts it right out there in front of you. And then look what David said right at the end. Against you. Who's he talking about there? Against you, you only, have I sinned. Now, David had sinned against Israel. He had sinned against the church. He had sinned against the, uh, the church as it was in that day. He had sinned against uh, Bathsheba. He had sinned against her husband Uriah. He had sinned against the nation of Israel. He had sinned against his own family, his children. But to him, what was paramount in his sin was that it was against God. Pastor, why do you say sexual immorality is a sin against God? I mean, why is it a sin against God? Because it was God who said, thou shalt not. It was God who said it. Thou shalt not commit adultery. You see, I don't care what Hugh Hefner says. I don't care what Margaret Mead said. I don't care what Hollywood says. I don't care what MSNBC or CNN or CBS or ABC or Fox. or. Can I just be real blunt with you? I don't care what any congressman or my president says. I care what God says. What God says about it. It doesn't make any difference what they say. One ounce of what God says is worth far more than a thousand tons of the garbage that is being spewed out by this self-loving, godless masses in this world today. We've got to get back to the Word of God. Now, Pastor Andy talked about God's hand being on our church. Do you all believe that? I'm telling you right now, He will move His hand off of us if we don't preach it straight up in this house. I know we're contemporary and I know our music's contemporary and I know, you know, pastor don't wear a tie and sometimes I get really crazy wearing my shirt tail out. <laughs> but we don't water it down in this house because we know if we water down God's word in this house, he will take his hand off this church. You say, I'm going to tell you, you preach like this if you want to, Pastor. We're going to lose some people. That's all right. That's all right. There was a time when they followed Jesus in the throngs, and then when Jesus taught the truth, the Bible says many left him. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, will you also go away? And Peter, who often had his foot in his mouth instead of the gr on the ground, Peter often said the wrong thing. As a matter of fact, if you'll do your Bible study, you'll find out his name was Peter Hardison. <clears throat> but Peter said when Jesus asked that question, to whom shall we go? Because only you have the words of eternal life. And what I'm preaching in this house today is not, not harmful. It's not death-giving. This is a life-giving message. This is a life-giving message. We've got to get back to the Word of God. It is God who said in the Ten Commandments, Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, what I want to do right now, and then I'm done, is I want to seal this message with the Word of God. Can I seal it with the Word of God? And then we'll pray. Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage should be honored by, God, by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer 
and the sexually immoral. 1 Corinthians 6 and 9, Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men. We used to say amen to stuff like that. Now we're afraid we'll offend somebody. We're afraid the church will lose its tax-exempt status. I just preach what's in the Bible. I always will now. I'm 56, so one of these days I'm going to wake up dead. And you may get another preacher, but as long as I'm your preacher, I'm going to tell you the truth of God's Word. And I'm going to, we're going to laugh. We're going to laugh a little bit. We're going to laugh a little bit because honey, honey makes the bad medicine go down, don't it? But you know what? This isn't bad medicine you got to take to go to heaven. This is good for you. It's good for you. It's like, it's like going to the gym. Uh, I saw on Facebook this week, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start calling my kitchen gym. <laughs> people go, Where are you? Well, what are you doing today, Pastor? I said, I'm going to the gym about three or four times today. <laughs> Exercise hurts. Exercise makes you sore. Exercise doesn't feel good sometimes, but it's good for you, isn't it? It's good for you. I don't know. I heard that. Galatians 6 and 7, do not be deceived. It may look like God is being mocked and nothing's going to happen. It may look like God is being mocked and nothing's going to happen. But you need to not be deceived by what it looks like. That's what he's saying right there. You're going to reap what you sow. Whatever seeds you put in the ground, that's going to be your crop. I mean... You know, this spring, when y'all are putting stuff in your garden, thinking and praying about me. Because y'all know I love your gardens. If you put butter beans seeds in the ground, you're not going to get corn. Whatever you put in the ground, that's the crop. Romans 2, 5. But because of your what? Stubbornness. Do y'all sense that in our society today? Bowing up at God. Because of your stubbornness, and say those next two words. Unrepentant heart. You're storing up wrath, judgment against yourselves for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. See, Christians who really walk in God, we're on a pay-as-you-go plan. Amen? Christians mess up, don't they? You know when God deals with Christians when they mess up? Right then. When I sin, I'm convicted not two weeks down there. I'm convicted right then. And God keeps it ever before me till I repent. And sometimes he'll, when I, when I try to justify, you know, and say, well, you know, the reason I did that, I just felt like I had to, you know, and God's like, mm. he'll turn the heat up on you. How many of you know God will turn the heat up on you? But see, so we're on the pay-as-you-go plan. So you look at some people who aren't serving God, and they mock the Bible and mock the church and mock the things of God and the principles of God, and it looks like everything they touch turns to gold. 
look, right here's the answer to that, Romans 2, 5. How many of y'all know, know what uh, laying away stuff means? It means all your judgment, all your payday is going to come on one day right at the end. I'm just reading out the Bible now. And I know some of you are like, this is so harsh. This comes from a preacher who loves you, cares about you. The Bible says when you rebel against God and you don't repent, that you're just building up. And one day his righteous judgment will be released. It will be revealed. Look at Proverbs 6, 27 through 29. Man, look at this language. Can a man scoop a flame into his lap? And not have his clothes catch on fire? In other words, can a man commit adultery and be unharmed by it? Can he walk on hot coals and not blister his feet? Look at verse 29. So it is with the man who sleeps with another man's wife. He who embraces her will not go unpunished. And if you're talking to somebody on the internet, or you're flirting with somebody on your job. Or you're flirting with somebody at the gym. You say, Pastor, I hadn't touched her. I hadn't touched him. I'm telling you right now, there's an emotional fornication. There's an emotional adultery. Jesus talked about it. Looking upon people wishing you could be with them. Wishing you could have them. Wishing you could without having to reap the repercussions of a divorce. And you wish you could put your spouse aside and embrace this other person. I'm just telling you. The Bible says, I just read it to you, it's on the screen. It will not go unpunished. Proverbs 6.32, but the man who commits adultery is an utter fool. For he destroys himself. The Bible's clear, the Bible's plain, the Bible's unmistakable. That those who practice sexual immorality will receive unto themselves the judgment of God. This is the law of God. And law without penalty is just advice. And God is not giving you advice when he says thou shalt not commit adultery. He's laying down the law. Sexual immorality is a sin against God. Now don't go home mad at me. The reason I gave you so much scripture is because I wanted you not to hear what Pharaoh Hardison was saying. I wanted you to hear what God was saying. You have to go home. If you're going to go home mad today, if you're going to go home offended today, you're going home mad at God. All I did today was tell you what God said. So if you're going to be offended, if you're going to be hurt, and it ain't going to do you any good to send me a long email explaining where I was wrong. Because all I'm going to do is write down all the scripture references and send them back to you and tell you to write them back to me explaining that something different than what those scriptures are actually saying. 
Because if you twist those scriptures or you eliminate those scriptures, then they're no longer the word of God anymore. It becomes your word. God said this today. Not me, but remember, remember, let's go back to the, don't get nervous here, but let's go back to the very first part of the message. Look what it says. Can, can you guys go, I think it's the third slide. I think it's slide number three. If you can find that first John. Look at that scripture. Loving God. If you love God, y'all, y'all told me you love God. Loving God means, it means something. It means keeping his commandments. And his commandments are not to hurt you. Not to bind you. They're not burdensome. They're not to inflict pain. They're not to cause a threat to be over you. The law of God is to set you free. It's to set you free. For God to tell you not to commit adultery is the same for you to tell your child you can't play kickball on Highway 70. You hear me? Because if you let your child play kickball on Highway 70, they're going to lock you up because they're going to tell you you're not loving your child, you're not taking care of your child, you're not protecting your child. Am I not right about that? So when God says don't commit adultery, don't engage in immoral acts, sexual acts that are outside of marriage, God is saying don't play kickball, my little children, on Highway 70. Not because I'm trying to deprive you of something. I'm trying to care for you. I'm trying to protect you. Because I love you so much. And can I ask you something? Does God need to do anything else to prove his love? John 3.16, y'all think that's enough? 